Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came down here and lived a life in which you told us the truth about your Father. You sacrificed your life for the sin of the world and you defeated the power of sin, death, and the devil through your resurrection. And you ascended back into heaven and you're coming back at the end for us. We thank you for all the stories you've got written down in the New Testament about your earthly life. And uh, we know how valuable they are, and we ask your Holy Spirit to guide us now as we begin the series, that we would each hear what you want us to hear. We ask in Jesus' name, and we all say, Amen. So, five-week message series in which we'll explore five Jesus stories, stories from Jesus' earthly ministry. They really happen in real time with real people but stories that also give us guidance and hope for how we live our lives today. And we'll explore a variety of stories. Jesus with the disciples in a boat in a storm. Jesus telling a story actually about his heavenly father. Jesus interacting with kids. And a story about Jesus healing and being thanked. And today we begin with a story that happened actually before Jesus began doing anything, any teaching or healing. The story of his temptation by the devil in the wilderness. But first... I want to explain why knowing Jesus' stories is so important. We know a person by the stories we know about them. I mean, we identify people by their name, but we know them by their stories. So if I'm in conversation with you and I bring up a person's name, uh, and, uh, and you go, well, who's that? And I say, well, that's, and I just say their name again. You go, well, I know their name, but who are they? And so that you know who they are, I'll have to tell you, a story. I'll say, oh, they grew up on a farm outside Henry, went to SDSU, they work at the hospital and live on the east side of town. They're married, they got three kids. Actually, I think they're friends with your cousin who works at the hospital too. A story. And all of a sudden you have a sense, oh, I know something about that person now because I know some of their story. And the more of a person's story we know, the more of the person we know. That's why every once in a while I talk about a story from my own life because... It's easier to listen to someone if you know something about them, just how we work. Well, Jesus changes everything as the stories we know about Jesus actually become our stories. It's not just about him. It's about us. When my dad retired from pastoral ministry, he spent the first, I think, four or five months of his retirement writing. He sat in his little uh, office with his computer, and for hours a day he wrote all the stories he wanted to write. From the time he was a little kid, his earliest memories, plus some part of his story he didn't know that his parents had told him about his early childhood, which he almost didn't make it through an illness. And he just sat down and wrote all these stories. And when he was done, he made three copies. One for my oldest sister, Susan, four years older than I am myself, and one for my younger brother, three years younger, Mark. And he gave us each a copy of his stories. And we, of course, when we got them in the mail, we read them right away. And both Susan, Mark, and I realized we, we got to know our father at a much deeper level because we heard stories we'd never heard before. We didn't know our dad did that. And then something else happened to me. Since I'm also a pastor, some of my dad's stories about being a pastor were very similar to some of the stories I've been through as a pastor, and it kind of linked his story to my story. There's a sense in which his story is my story. Now, Jesus changes everything as the stories you know about Jesus become our stories. 
So before we explore the story of Jesus' temptation, I'm going to mention what happened right before that as Matthew writes it. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. This is Matthew 4, 13 through 17. And the story ends this way. After his baptism, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, the heavens are opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. What an experience for Jesus. Have the Holy Spirit descend on him. The Father, he hears his Father's voice. I love you. You're dearly loved. I'm proud of you. You bring me joy. But that story about Jesus' baptism is also the story about our baptism. When we're baptized, we follow Jesus. And the Spirit descends on us. And God the Father says, you are my dearly loved child who brings me great joy. It's not just Jesus' story. Jesus invites us into it. It becomes our story. Now, the question in this whole temptation story we'll look at is this. Is Jesus secure in his identity? When he heard God the Father say, you're my dearly loved son who brings you great joy, does Jesus believe it? Will he live out his identity as God's loved son? Can something or someone else persuade Jesus either to reject his identity or misuse it somehow? Is he secure in his identity as a son of God who's come to sacrifice his life for the sins of the world, who will break the power of sin, death, and the devil through his resurrection from the dead? Will Jesus stay on that course or will he veer off? Will he complete his mission or will he decide for an easier mission? And the story of Jesus' temptation begins this way. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became hungry. So he's fresh from his baptism, full of the Holy Spirit, certain that the Father loves him and he brings his Father great joy. And then the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And wilderness, we think, you know, kind of a, a place that's barren and dry and there's nothing there. And that, that can be very true. But the wilderness in the Bible has a deeper meaning. In the Bible, the wilderness is a place where you have to face the things that matter most. You can't be distracted. The things that really matter, they're just right there. And you have to face them head on. And in this wilderness experience that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into, Jesus was tempted by the devil. Now, we need to talk about the word temptation. Because in the New Testament, which was written in Koine Greek, which is different than classical Greek, the Greek word translate, we translate as temptation also means testing. Same word, different emphasis. So temptation, we know, well, that's trying to get somebody to veer off the right course onto the wrong course. Our temptation is, is luring someone to do what is wrong. Our temptation is an attempt to just destroy a person's life. I mean, there's nothing positive about temptation. It's just all negative, completely negative. Testing, on the other hand, is different. Testing helps us assess what we know. Testing helps us know what we're made of, as in, I passed the test of boot camp. I made it. And testing can actually strengthen us. If you're in a weightlifting, you know that you must test the limits of your muscles by lifting until you feel the burn, and that's actual micro-tears of your muscle tissue. And as those micro-tears heal, they build more muscle. So the testing is designed to strengthen us. 
Now, the devil always tempts, meaning he's always seeking to get of us course. He wants to lure us into what is wrong, and he wants to damage our life. So, but the Holy Spirit enters, actually led Jesus into this time of tempting because he turns it into a time of testing, a testing of faith and trust in Jesus. So, and a test builds faith and builds trust. So it's better than when, the, than when the test is over with. So the devil wants to tear down and destroy the whole God's spirit, always seeking to build us up and strengthen us. Now before we go further, a word about the devil. In the Bible, the devil is a real, personal, fallen, spiritual entity, always in direct opposition to everything God is doing. God creates, the devil seeks to destroy. It's that simple. Whatever God is doing, the devil wants to come against and tear down. And because humanity as a whole has rebelled against God and has fallen from God's original design, the devil has a lot of influence in this world. However, when the devil tempts Jesus, this is not a battle of equals. The devil has, is no match for the power and authority of the Son of the living God. Uh, growing up, and my, my sister had allergies to dogs, and so aside from a very brief stint when we had a beagle named Lassie when I was a little, little kid, we didn't have any dogs. It was an outside dog. So we never had a pet dog. So I didn't get that. I'm not a dog person. I don't get the connection people have with dogs. I just didn't experience it. So I just watched dogs with somewhat critical eye. and It didn't help that I got bit in the face when I was a kid by a dog. That didn't help. But I've observed something about small dogs over the years that has both amused me and confused me. Why is it that some very small dogs bark incessantly as if they want to draw attention to themselves? And why do some of those small barking dogs take no thought of running right up to a much larger, stronger, more powerful dog and snap at it? It's as if the small dog doesn't realize that the larger dog, if it wanted to, could just dispense with the dog. The devil is the small, incessantly barking dog who thinks his bite is bigger than it is. This is not a match between equals. The story begins with temptation or the test, number one. What do you hunger for most? During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus has been fasting for a long time. He's hungry, and Satan assumes Jesus' deepest hunger is physical. He says, you're the son of God. You should have your physical hunger satisfied. It's your deepest hunger right now. Just tell the stones to become bread. They will. You won't be hungry anymore. Makes perfect sense. Jesus' response showed that the devil did not understand what Jesus' deepest hunger actually was. Jesus said, my deepest hunger isn't for bread. My deepest hunger is to hear and enjoy and obey the words of my Father. Life isn't about bread. Life's about God's words. And as the devil tempted Jesus, so the devil tempts us about our hunger. And the devil's main goal is to tempt us Tempt us to shift away to our hunger from God, away from God to actually anything else. Because whatever you hunger most, you will pursue. So the devil just seeks, take that hunger away from God and just 
have it go anywhere else, anywhere but God. So the devil whispers things like, hunger most for success. Hunger most for more stuff. Hunger most for a high. Hunger most for comfort. Hunger most for sexual pleasure. Hunger most for revenge. Hunger most for, it just doesn't matter. The devil seeks us to take our hunger for God, what we hunger for most, and just have it spread anywhere else but God. But we follow Jesus. And we say, well, we admit, there are lots of hungers that are part of our life. But we, like Jesus, we're going to hunger most for God. Because we know if our hunger for God is satisfied, all our other hungers will take care of themselves. And we know if our hunger for God is not satisfied, we'll never be full. So in this first part of the story, Jesus turns the devil's hunger temptation into a test in which Jesus passes. He says, I hunger most for God. And Jesus invites you and me to follow his lead. Second temptation test, testing God or serving God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. For scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. So the devil tempts Jesus to use his identity as the son of God to force his father's hand. Jump, don't worry. The father will take care of you. He's going to have to save you. You're his dearly loved son. He'll rescue you. And Jesus' response showed the devil that the devil did not understand how Jesus understood what it meant to be God's son. Jesus said, the Bible says, we're not to test the Lord God. I'm not here to make God prove to me that I'm his son. He already told me I am. I'm not going to use my identity as God's son to make him rescue me somehow, some foolish stunt. I'm going to use my identity as God's son to serve God. Well, as the devil tempted Jesus, the devil tempts us too. He whispers, don't waste time planning or asking God for wisdom or getting advice. Just do whatever you want. And if you're one of God's kids, God will just swoop in and rescue you no matter what happens. And if God doesn't rescue you, it means you must not be one of his kids. This is the devil's way of luring us into thinking that it's God's job to do what we want. Rather than knowing as God's dearly loved kids, we get to serve our Father. So we follow Jesus and we say, I'm not going to test God by doing foolish things and expecting him to rescue me. God created me, gave me a new life in Jesus. My life is not about getting God to do what I want. My life is about serving God and his purposes that he's got for me. So Jesus turned the devil's temptation to test God into a recommitment to serve God. And Jesus asked us to do the same. And then the third temptation or test in the story who or what do you really worship? Then the devil, excuse me, the next time, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. And the devil, this is an interesting attempt to tempt Jesus. He's tempting Jesus to fulfill his identity by giving it up. The devil said, I know you're the son of God. I know you deserve the worship of the entire world. 
I'll give it to you. Just worship me first, and then I'll have everyone worship you. And Jesus' response showed that the, that, that the devil had no understanding of how Jesus understood what it meant to be the dearly loved son of God. And Jesus kicked him out. He said, get out. You're a fool. I'm the dearly loved son of God. I worship and serve only the Lord. Your plan for me would destroy me. My father's plan for me is good for me and is good for the world. And as the devil tempted Jesus, the devil tempts us. The devil whispers, forget God. Just worship the stuff you want. I can give you the stuff you want. Worship me and I'll get what you need and what you want. You can't trust God. It's a very strong temptation for us because this desire to be loved, this desire for comfort and pleasure, our desire to be someone, our desire to have people pay attention to us, the devil tempts us and say, God can't deliver your deepest desires. I can. This is the temptation to give up our identity as one of God's dearly loved kids and trade it in for the devil's scam. And we respond, we follow Jesus to say, if Jesus, the truly dearly loved son of the Father, was willing to focus all of his power and energy into worshiping the Father, trusting the Father would guide and care for his life, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to worship the Father only and serve him. And so Jesus turned this temptation to worship the devil into a test that Jesus passed at remaining faithful to focus all of his worship on God the Father. Because you see, God enables us to turn a temptation to wrong into an affirmation of our identity in Christ. In the story, the devil is desperately trying to tempt Jesus to question that he's God's dearly loved son. And Jesus says, no way, I am God's dearly loved son. I listen to his truth. I don't listen to your lies. Remember, the devil's purpose and temptation is to lure us away from God and away from God's best so he can begin to destroy our lives. Like Jesus, we can trust the work of God's Spirit in us to turn this temptation to wrong into an affirmation that we are God's dearly loved kids through Jesus and enabled by the Holy Spirit. We say no to temptation and we say yes and we can be strengthened, actually, to trust the Father even more. So the devil wants to weaken and destroy our faith God's Spirit can even use temptation to strengthen our identity and trust in God. God's Spirit had the Apostle Paul write about it this way. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. We all face temptation. It's the same for all of us. Uh, the temptation to think our deepest hunger is for something other than God. We feel that. The temptation to use God to get what we want rather than serve Him. We feel that. The temptation to shift our worship of God to the worship of anything that we think will work better. We feel that. But Paul wrote that God is faithful and will not, I repeat, will not allow temptation in your life to be more than you can stand. There is always a way out. So the temptation can become a test that you pass that actually strengthens your faith that you are one of God's dearly loved kids in Jesus. The Father will take care of his kids. God the Father took care of Jesus through death to resurrection. The Father will do the same for us. Now I want to walk through this video. Uh, this is a, 
an engineer testing the yield strength and the breaking point of a thin steel cylinder that's in the middle between the top two presses that are coming down. There's some kind of uh, measuring instrument attached on the side because an engineer said, I need to have steel for a project. It needs to have a certain yield strength. So it needs to be able to handle so much pressure and the molecules need to stay uh, the way they're supposed to be. And so he's tested that, worked out fine. He takes off the monitor and now he's going to apply increasing amounts of pressure until the metal breach, breaks, reaches its breaking point, which means the metal molecules will begin to permanently deform. They can't handle the stress. And you can see it start to thin out a little bit in the middle there. And when the pressure gets to break, great, way bigger than the yield strength, this piece of steel is just going to break and snap. Now, the devil always wants to test us past our breaking point. As if there's no hope, we're just going to have to give in. Temptation always wins. Thankfully, as we surrender our lives to Jesus, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're promised that we will not encounter temptation that we cannot pass. We will not be tempted beyond the breaking point. God will keep it to the yield strength, which he knows we can handle as we trust in him. And as we go through that, it will even increase our yield strength for the next time around. As the Apostle Paul put it, Romans 8, 28, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So God can even use temptation by the Spirit's help turn into a test that we can pass, that can strengthen us to serve God more in the future. So I wanted to leave us not just you, but me too, with a, a prayer to follow Jesus through temptation. Jesus, thank you for your example. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that my hunger and worship will be focused on you. I renounce testing you. I want to serve you. Thank you that you allow a time of testing not to break me, but to bring me closer to you. Amen. Let's pray that together. Jesus, Thanks for your example. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that my hunger and worship will be focused on you. I renounce testing you. I want to serve you. Thank you that you allow a time of testing not to break me, but to bring me closer to you. Amen. And uh, for many of us here in this room, we're in a time of temptation right now. It could be small, it could be really big. It could be the biggest one of your life. And you'll need this type of prayer to, get, to make sure you understand what God's Spirit actually wants to do with us in this time. That it can become a test that we can pass that actually makes us stronger. Remember, if you don't have a Bible that makes sense to you, pick up a New Testament on the bookshelf out there in the lobby. And just read the story I read today, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Just listen to what Jesus did and see how he could be encouraging you. Invite the worship team coming up as I conclude here. Thank you for giving to God's work for us at the church. We're heading toward the end of the year and thankful for all that God's been able for us to do locally in the U.S. and around the world. And remember, giving money to God, 10% of my income is my goal, kind of a biblical idea standard. Uh, it's not an obligation. It's an act of thanksgiving. I want to give. And that's the heart that we want, uh, that we want God to give each of us. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we are thankful that you're here and present and know each of us, what's in our, our minds, our heart, our life. 
I thank you that you know those of us who are in a time of temptation now. And you know those of us who are feeling that we're reaching the breaking point on our temptation. We come here to reaffirm we trust you that there's a way out so the breaking point will not come. And we trust you that your spirit can turn this temptation into a test that we can pass that will actually strengthen us and bring us closer to you. We trust you in your work, Holy Spirit. For we pray in Jesus' name and we all say, Amen.